Welcome to Episode 8 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hello, everybody. Before we get to today's interview, I just want to take a moment and say that if you're interested in childhood hearing loss, or if you're a parent of a child with hearing loss, I encourage you to get involved with the Alexander Graham Bell Association for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing, or as most of us refer to it as A.G. Bell. The A.G. Bell Association supports listening and spoken language outcomes for children with hearing loss and continues to be an incredible resource for both parents and professionals. So please, please visit the website at agbell.org and get involved and support this wonderful organization with your time and your resources. And now, on to today's interview. Today I have the pleasure of introducing Shana Lucius. Shana is a pediatric speech-language pathologist and a certified auditory-verbal therapist from Columbus, Ohio. Shana has served the pediatric hearing loss population for the last 14 years at the University of Michigan Cochlear Implant Program and Nationwide Children's Hospital Hearing Program. In her current role as the lead listening and spoken language specialist on the hearing team at Nationwide Children's Hospital, she provides auditory verbal therapy to the birth-to-three population, mentors current SLPs working toward their LISL certification, and provides education and outreach to those professionals serving children with hearing loss across the state of Ohio. Shana enjoys speaking to and hosting graduate students studying speech-language pathology and audiology about various topics related to hearing habilitation and listening and spoken language. Shana, why don't you introduce yourself and we'll get started with the interview. I'm Shana Lucius, and I'm a speech-language pathologist currently at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Um, my grassroots education took place here at the Ohio State University back in 2002 to 2008 about. Um, I got started in the field of listening and spoken language. Actually, in grad school, I did an independent study, and I explored some of the oral preschool and school options for children in Columbus. And I saw a little boy. He was on the playground listening and talking and socializing with his peers and he had bilateral cochlear implants and I said I want to be a part of this these children's journeys and that's how it all got started for me. Then I graduated from Ohio State and went on to work at the University of Michigan cochlear implant program in Ann Arbor with uh, Dr. Teresa Zwolin and Ellen Thomas and Ellen mm-hmm. Thomas was my AVT mentor. Oh very good. So I know we them were- quite well. We worked for three years on pursuing my LISL certification, um, so that took me into the specialization of listening and spoken language, 
I also did the professional distance education through the Obercotter, which was with Catherine Wilson at the time. And I think that's how we came to know one another through that program. So you did the first year's training at UNC? Yes, yes. Awesome. And that was really valuable. So my independent study for that was with Dr. Don Goldberg at uh, you know, the Cleveland Clinic there. And then I also mm-hmm. did a week at the Castle program in North Carolina with Hannah Eskridge and their crew. Yeah. Uh, my um, proud aspect of my career is that Hannah and, uh, and Lillian uh, are both former students of mine from South Carolina. That's awesome. The ABT world is definitely a small world. Um, interestingly, Beth Walker was on the uh, Overcotter, the Hearing First website, and she was communicating about how Ellen was one of her mentees. And so it kind of just is, you know, a small world that we all live in here. Well, I often tell my grad students that, you know, it's when you meet people, you want to be careful what you say, because <laughs> because of that smallness and close knit nature that we have is because, you know, you maybe, you know, people have either worked together and they know each other or they uh, went to school together, maybe the same program or they dated each other. (laughs) So you always want to, you want to make sure when you're referring to another person with someone that you understand that there may be a connection there and usually is. Most definitely, which makes it unique with this teletherapy option that is now available to us because it allows us to be more connected. And I think how I got started in using tele was back when I was at the University of Michigan, we were doing tele webinars for the UP and Traverse City, the upper part of Michigan, where it would take us, you know, six hours, eight hours just to drive one way. Uh, we were doing teleconferencing with with them. We had a grant called Sound Support, which enabled us the funding to be able to do that um, in partnership with, you know, the University of Michigan Hospital System and the State Department of Medicaid there. So it was a really good opportunity to get my feet wet in using tele for mentoring and professional coaching. And then when I came to the university or to uh, Nationwide Children's here, we were partnering with, um, you know, you as well as Catherine um, Dominguez. I don't know if you remember her as mm-hmm. a student, but she did a clinical trial here where we were looking at the efficacy of implementing tele for some of our hearing loss patients coming from more rural areas of Ohio. And we did a small study with that showing the effectiveness of it. And um, from there, the biggest barrier, I think, has been just the reimbursement side of things. And that's kind of what halted. But now that we have this opportunity, I think we're seeing the potential and our field is kind of being pushed in this direction, which I think is a direction we needed to go. Oh, I, I agree. And I, I think the, 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 where we are at right now with COVID-19 and, you know, still this push for telehealth and telepractice within, within our area I don't think it's going to go away. I think it is that push that we needed. I think we now have all of these different agencies and licensure boards and, you know, policymakers saying suddenly telehealth is okay. Telepractice is okay. You know, let's, let's make this happen. You know, where before there were a lot of barriers and, and now even insurance companies and, and 
third-party reimbursement or, or are saying, yeah, we can we can reimburse at the same rates and things like that. We still have some ways to go in convincing some people, but it uh, you know the the COVID nineteen certainly has created that demand now, mm-hmm. and I don't think the consumers, I don't think our patients will want to go back to the old way, so to speak. I would definitely agree with that. I've already had a lot of families saying, "Why can't we do this all the time? I want to continue mm-hmm. this." Um, we have families that drive up to two, two and a half hours, just one way to come for auditory verbal therapy services at our center. And we know as ABTs, that's not the most effective or best use of time when families are spending over five hours in a car. That's minimizing opportunities for listening and talking that could be happening. So I think there's huge potential for this population to be working in their home environments, and, and it really falls best into this scope of practice. I feel like this is where AVPs shine, is where we can coach and use the materials and toys that are in the family's homes and really give these families that hands-on opportunity to be the effective language facilitators. Oh, I agree 100%. And I, what I've always seen is when I used to have families driving so far away, by the time the family got there, the child was worn out. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they were irritable. They didn't want to be there. You know, they've been stuck in the car for an hour or more. And, you know, it's like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know? And so it's just, it's just a struggle. So it's the more we can keep them in the home and connect to the home. And just like you're saying, use the materials that they already have, the toys, the books, it's going to be more natural. And that's that's what's always frustrated me with some of the early intervention programs, uh, who say it's not natural. You're not. You still need to go into the home in that natural setting. Well, we are. We are going into the home. Right. We're just using technology to do that, and um, and so I, I, I here in Ohio that's allowed and that's that's fine. But other states, they're still still struggling with that whole. Is it? the natural environment when you deliver services through telepractice. And I, my perspective is it forces the clinician or the other early interventionist to actually do parent coaching when you connect through telepractice, because a lot of the research has shown that when people did go into the home, parent coaching wasn't always at the top of the list <laughs> in terms of things that they were actually doing. Right. They may demonstrate something, but they didn't sort of turn it over to the parent and, and have the parent do it and then coach the parent or, or, you know, it, what we've seen is this sort of consultative model, mm-hmm. you know, of how is it going? Here's some things to read, you know, sort of a check-in kind of model once a month. And, and that's not going to do it either. Right. I think that's where kind of we've found the balance of both worlds because we know we provide really rich direct therapy services before all this happened in person. So now a lot of the families I've been working with in person already kind of know, you know, the therapy plan, the the routines, um, a lot of the auditory verbal strategies that they've been coached on. And so this just kind of comes naturally to them even Mm -hmm. because they've had that experience. And I think, you know, being able to really put it in their court and truly turn it over to the parent. Like, I think you've quoted this before, teletherapy, telehealth is truly the purest model of coaching that's available. Um, And it really forces you as clinicians, clinicians that are starting out in this field to really learn 
the ins and outs of the why. I always tell my students, you need to know why to be able to explain to the parents, you know, why are you targeting that goal? Why, why do learning to listen sounds matter? Well, they matter because we're trying to teach the fundamentals. We're trying to teach the vowels and the consonants and the structure. So they need to be comfortable with being able to explain the why behind why we're doing what we're doing. Oh, exactly. And it, and it certainly puts you in that spot of having to understand it then to be able to explain it and, and tell that why. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's the, I think it's the purest way to do parent coaching and uh, it just forces us all to be better, better coaches and, and better um, listening and spoken language specialists, I guess we would say uh, right. as with a new terminology. And it, um, it definitely plays into what those adult learning styles we know to be true, right? Um, mm-hmm. Hands-on experience and adult learning is, is best centered around being able to do it, right? That's very true too. And that's the, a whole nother area of, that we need more instruction on, I think, in our training programs is understanding how the adult learns. And when you're working with a parent, you're working with that other adult who's, who's learning new tasks, learning new skills, and, and how do we present that information so that we can optimize their learning. But you're right, you know, the hands-on uh, approach for adult learning is has been proven. You just have to, they want to know what they're doing. They want to know why they're doing it, but they want hands-on uh, experience doing it. Definitely. One of the biggest things I've found to be a challenge with all of this is um, knowing what materials the families have at home. And I've had to pretty much figure that out pretty quickly. Um, so some of the tools I've been using, I know I shared with you that hearing first article on the family mm-hmm. routines and family practices and I've found that that's super helpful to get families starting to explore what are some of the routines that they're using that they kind of want me to be in their ear, if you will. Um, some of the things that some of our families have done is like make a snack, simple, simple activity that they can do. And I can coach them on like using rich language during that time where they can be hands on with the snack with the child. Um, but that was one of the biggest things I found that I needed to do, figure out pretty quickly is what the families have at home that we can use. And then I kind of relied back on my graduate training where I remember a supervisor was giving us an activity. We had to make a lesson plan with just one thing. And I remember my thing was the paper clip. Like how many different things can you do with a paper clip? And I found myself in these teletherapy situations thinking on my feet. And that's one of the skills I think as a clinician, you have to be agile, innovative, and flexible. And to find good success in this model, those are the three key things that I've found are important. Figuring out, you know, what they have at home, being agile, innovative, and flexible. I think you've summed it up nicely. I think if anyone doing AV, but especially through telepractice, you gotta gotta have all those qualities about you uh, to make it work. Uh, Because being flexible, there's always something that may not work, an activity that may not work, or the technology may, you know, something may go wrong with the technology, although that's a lot more stable now than it used to be. Um, so being flexible and agile and, and being able to think on, on the spot, if something's not working, you can say, oh, I know you have this other book or you have this other toy let's do this with that, you know, let's try this strategy using that toy or that book and going in another direction. 
It's been real fun. I know that you've enjoyed this model of therapy for a long time, and I'm I'm glad that I finally get to appreciate doing you know, both the clinic and the, and the in-home through telehealth model. And I think a lot of graduate students that are pursuing their careers, if they can be good therapists using this model, then they're going to be really well-rounded. And I think, like you said, our, our clientele is going to demand this type of service in the future now that they've had a taste of what it looks like. Yes, and I, I think this is going to force training programs to adopt more telepractice training. Um, we did a survey two or three years ago, and there was very little interest from directors of training programs in speech language pathology and audiology. There was only maybe two or three out of, I forget how many we surveyed, it was 70 or 80. We got um, 70 or 80 responses we got back from our survey. Um, but there was only like out of that that number, only two or three that were really actively trying to train their students uh, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I think now, because of the virus, uh, we're going to be seeing this demand continue, which means training programs need to adjust how they train their students. And what I've tried to do at, at Akron is to help students graduate knowing how to do both. I want them right. to be just as comfortable working with that child and family in a, in a clinic situation in person. Or if they have to then get up and go sit down at the computer and, and link with a family, they can still be just as comfortable doing telepractice. I um, think that's a great thing that you're offering your students at University of Akron. And I agree with you. I think the field needs some type of competency measures as we do for listening and spoken language specialists for telehealth competency. Is that something that you've thought about working on? Yes, actually. we've. There's a couple of other professors, like I said, that, that are interested in this area, the other universities that I've been collaborating with. But it's getting at some competencies. ASHA is now looking at it as well. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that it's... Um, how can I say this diplomatically? I hope their involvement ends up supporting what we're already doing and not hindering it mm -hmm. in terms of any new um, policies they put in place about students. I mean, there were some rumors about students needing to, you know, have X number of hours doing this and that before they start seeing a patient through telepractice. Um, all, you know, all these other, all these standards that are not currently there, they're now sort of talking about. Mm -hmm. And I have some concerns about that because they also have said in their policies that telepractice is equal to in-person visits. I mean, it's just as good as, I mean, if that patient can, if the patient's needs can be met through telepractice, then they recognize that telepractice can be equivalent to in-person visits. Mm -hmm. And so how they handle that in terms of how graduate students would be trained will be interesting. Mm -hmm. I, again, I just hope they, they work with faculty who are out there doing this and they don't um, put new regulations in place in terms of training programs who are doing telepractice that end up hurting us rather than helping us. 
Sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot that's already been established. I know it's been about a decade of implementation and research that we've been kind of using in the oral rehab world. Uh, the rest of the speech world is kind of getting up to date with that. I know audiology from remote mapping. I know uh, the University of Michigan did a research study on remote mapping. And I think, um, you know, families and stuff are going to be demanding it across the board, not just speech, but also, you know, audiology for mapping, even follow up for ENT visits, you know, postoperatively. We've had really good success where the ENT is able to look at the incision site and do their post-op visit where they don't have to drive two and a half hours just to check the incision site and make sure everything is healing nicely. You know, so I think some of these visits, um, can be done across the board, not just speech, but audiology and ENT. It's I agree, 100%. And I do think we probably have a little bit more of an advantage that there's been more of us in AV, oral rehabilitation, and this area of hearing loss, um, doing more telepractice than in than other maybe areas. Uh, we have a little bit of a head start. Um, so I'm I'm hoping we can continue without um, continue in a positive way and help our training programs sort of come online and actually, you know, get involved and do the training without hurting what we're already doing. Definitely. Because <laughs> for me and my students, you know, that we, we did, we have done some training and then we, but I usually get them right in, into some sessions where I start coaching them as we are doing a telepractice session. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and they usually adapt pretty quickly. It and, makes and you think, it makes you think, and you have to be pretty prepared. I know a lot of your focus has also been on being prepared with the lesson plan ahead of time and sending that out to the family in advance. And that preparation piece is essential for a good session. You know, what happens within the session, you have to think on your feet, but you can do your due diligence by making sure ahead of time you've thought out, you know, what are the child's goals? What are the, some of the materials that we can use to facilitate those goals? What are some of the strategies and next steps for the family? So, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about, um, you mentioned how you had seen uh, a little boy that had hearing loss early on, and that mm -hmm. was sort of a, a seminal moment for you that got you interested in hearing loss. When you were at uh, Ohio State, did they have any additional practicum or or coursework in this area or anything going on? Unfortunately, at that time, no. I had to pretty much pave my own pathway. Like I said, that was back in 08 when I, when mm -hmm. I did that. Um, you know, AVT has grown tremendously, I would say, just in the last, you know, three, five, three to five years, um, as far as getting professionals trained and getting access to people that want to be certified. Um, so I think that the field is doing a good job of that. But I pretty much had to pave my own pathway. There wasn't a training program. I did an independent study where I created the coursework and created a kind of a portfolio of resources for families. And like I said, I explored the schools here in central Ohio that were available. But even even now, a lot has changed since back then when I was studying it, you know, um, the auditory oral school where I observed that little kid doesn't exist anymore. So 
Um, we're, we're trying to think about ways to continue to educate and provide listening and spoken language services to our population here in Central Ohio beyond just the therapy realm. Right. And do you have many of the Ohio State students come over for, for practicum? Yes, I have a good handful of those students who've been placed with me that are interested in learning more about hearing loss. I've also done a handful of lectures at the university to the master's level students in both audiology and speech on listening and spoken language. I would love to be able to continue to do that ongoing. Um, Obviously, we partner with you a lot and your students. I feel they're a great resource. They come super well prepared. um, And it's exciting because usually they come to me for their last rotation and then we get them jobs, which is like super (laughs) rewarding, right? That's right. That's always a plus when they can uh, stay right there and keep doing what they love to do. Definitely. Definitely. So it's been good. It's all been good. Awesome. So where do you think, uh, given this new era of telepractice, and I guess we're all still sort of navigating what the next two or three, maybe six months are going to look like, in terms of how we deliver services, but taking that, pushing that off to the side for a moment, where do you see yourself and where do you see the program there at Nationwide Children's uh, over the next, you know, three years or five years? Yeah, I mean, the projections for the number of kids that were implanting have just, you know, kind of tremendously gone up, which I think is a good thing, meaning we're getting the information about out about cochlear implants, listening and spoken language, oral habilitation. We're doing a good job educating the potential that these children hold in the community across the state of Ohio. Um, I feel that the growth is going to continue across the state just in terms of numbers of, of children and adolescents we're implanting. I feel that that will also lend itself to us continuing to be able to provide hopefully these telehealth interventions across the spectrum. Uh, because families, again, are coming from a distance and demanding high-quality services, which we know we can provide. And I think that the training and education of our future field is going to continue as well with collaboration with University of Akron and The Ohio State University, getting professionals up to speed with telehealth intervention so that they can feel comfortable and confident that they're providing these families high quality intervention services, not only in person, but through the telehealth model. So I think all of us, all of this is just pushing us in a direction that uses technology to our fullest advantage to help those we serve. Great. And it's, it's great to have you as a part of all this. And it's really exciting to see what nationwide is doing and, and, what the future looks like in terms of just continuing to grow the program in some exciting ways. Thank you. I appreciate your support and I, I really appreciate all your legwork and efforts that you put forth into telehealth and to establishing it as a, a mode of excellence for our field. I know you've done a tremendous amount of work and partnering with other professionals across the country. So you've really set the stage for what we can do. Well, I appreciate that. So, um, Shannon, what what advice would you give a, a say a, a student or someone starting in this area of of speech language pathology of listening and spoken language AVT? What what kind of advice would you give them? I would say you definitely have to delve in, delve in with the education and 
your passion is going to drive your purpose. That's what it did for me. If you're passionate about working with this population, you'll do everything you can to get yourself educated and get yourself, you know, the tool, the tool belt, as I like to call it, to help you be successful. There's so many wonderful resources out there with listening to spoken language, H.U. Bell, Hearing First, or just a couple to name. Um, there's so many resources for professionals in terms of coaching and connecting. And I think back to the beginning of when we started this conversation, this is a small world. And I think that if you find yourself being able to network, you're going to serve yourself well. Um, people in the listening and spoken language space are nice people willing to help, willing to get the word out about auditory therapy for children and coaching families. And I think my best advice would just be reach out, connect, and network, and don't turn back. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Thank, thank you, you for being here on the podcast. Thank you, Todd. I really appreciate Shana being with us today on the podcast. I am so thrilled that she's working here in Ohio, setting a very high standard for all of us to follow. And I know she'll continue to do wonderful work at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And so, if you're passionate about what we're doing with this podcast, please consider being a patron. Go over to patreon.com. Find the Listening Brain Podcast and select a level that suits you. We also have some great incentives that you get when you sign up. So please think about it, and we really appreciate any support you can give. This podcast has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network, and thank you, as always, for listening.